0: Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt and taxes and creating a liberated lifestyle.
1: And now, your host, with the love of fantasy books and funk, and the hatred of running more than three miles, Dave Denniston.
0: Hello, my friends. This is Dave Denniston, and welcome back. To another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, I have a, another guest today talking about us, that, that slashing taxes side of it. And he is a gentleman who is a former Marine Corps sergeant has 20 years of successful business op, ownership, high-level consulting, and he founded a company called Peak Profit Solutions, where their goal is to help thousands of individuals increase profit and permanently reduce their annual tax bill to better help them grow their business and accelerate their wealth. Please help me welcome Mark Myers to the show. Welcome, Mark.
1: Hey, thank you so much, Dave. It's a pleasure to be on. Uh, it's an honor and I really uh, am in, and excited about the opportunity and I love your focus for your show. It's just such a, a great focus to help the, this group of individuals.
0: Well, thank you, Mark. Well, appreciate you being here. You know, I think it's so fun to connect with different people and get different viewpoints. So I'm sure you're going to have some great hints and, and thoughts for us. We're talking um, pre-chat I grew up in California. You hung up in California in your twenties. Where were you before uh, being in California in your twenties?
1: So I traversed a bit, you know, growing up. Uh, not that you know, my father was military, but he was out of the military by the time I was born. So I wasn't the military kid that uh, had to pack up every two and a half years and go to a new town. Mm. But I I grew up in North Carolina, uh, right outside of Durham, uh, Raleigh-Durham area. I relocated to. Tampa Bay in my teen years and transitioned there and went to the University of Florida, got my undergraduate and my master's degree there. And um, from that point forward, I went to New York City, lived on the Upper East Side of Manhattan for a couple of years before the group I was working with uh, transferred me out to beautiful, sunny Southern California, where I landed uh, with my toes in the sand in Venice Beach. And I, for the 17 years I was there, I had lived Close to the beach, pretty much the entire time. Just moving south from Venice Beach to Redondo Beach to Huntington Beach. <laughs> just kind of moving my way south. Uh, yeah. But I'm back in Florida now, so I moved my family back to Jacksonville, Florida about two and a half years ago. Love this. I love the income tax situation here. On the right,
0: <laughs> yeah. A lot of Californians would agree with you. You know, right. a, lot, a lot of people moving out of state. So when did um when did you get into the military then in that journey?
1: So I, uh, I was a reservist. So the joke with Marine Corps reserves, uh, especially in the Marine Corps is, you know, when you're doing training with the active duty, they say, oh, you're just a weekend warrior. You know, you're just a reservist. And we always said, well, you can call us whatever you want, but you can call us at home on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> but I started my, uh, my Marine Corps journey, uh, just after my freshman year of college and, uh, decided that I needed to, uh, have some discipline in my life. And uh, just so happened that, you know, there was a reserve center in Jacksonville. So I got to do my Paris Island boot camp training. I got to go out to California for a few months to learn how to drive amphibious tanks. And then I got to go back to school at the University of Florida. And every month I got to go play, uh, play with tanks for two or three days. And, and of course, every year in the reserves, you go out to, um, annual training, which is generally about 15 days in a row. And we would always be in either Camp Pendleton or Coronado or 29 Palms, which is a nice little desert area in California. Very hot.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, we, uh, we did and I was a, I am an Eagle Scout. And we would do, do some trips out to Camp Pendleton. It wasn't too far from where we were in Southern Orange County and had, had some good memories there. Man, you know, these military bases are so sprawling. You know, there was so much room for so many Boy Scouts. I think it was a jamboree or something we had there. No, quite the base, quite the base. Absolutely. Um, so what, what um, was it your dad that influenced you to do that, you know, or what, what made you decide to, to
1: join the reserves? <laughs> All right, I have a funny story for you, Dave. I think the audience might appreciate this. It'll be, it'll give them a chuckle. So my father was a Marine Corps uh, sergeant as well. He was in the reserves. He never really mentioned too much about it growing up because he was out before I was old enough to to know. Yeah. And um, after the I went to the reserve offices in in Gainesville, Florida, only because my roommate at the time, who was a the class clown in our high school, he was a good friend of mine through high school. He was voted class clown. He was one of the VPs, funny guy, always doing crazy stuff. He said. Mark, I'm going to go over to the reserve offices. I heard you can make some money in college just by being in the reserves. I'm like, great, have fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He said, no, I want to go. I want somebody to go with me. I'm like, I'm busy. (laughs) So he said, no, just come with me. I just need somebody to go with me. So I go. And of course, I go into the Marine Corps office. I'm just blown away by the tanks and what I can do. And I'm like, sign me up. And he's like, Mm -hmm. what are you doing? (laughs) So I ended up signing up for the Marine Corps based off of my roommate wanting me to just go with him to check it out.
0: Nice, nice. Well, I have to imagine, you know, any, anytime someone's in the military and, and thank you for your service, um, by the way, you know, I think it, it is really quite, quite the sacrifice, right? I mean, it, it was a lot of weekends, I'm sure in some nights, it's probably what a lot of training exercises on top of, and I don't think you're getting paid much at all. For the reserves, right? It's it's um, pretty pretty minimal in terms of reward. It really is a service thing.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that, and I appreciate that. I I I I thank everyone for their service uh, to their country in, in any way and shape form that they do it. And of course, sometimes we get a little bit of accolade in the in the military. So thank you for that. But I would say I would agree with you. You know, it's um, when I talked to my dad about it because my dad had already gone through eight years of reserve duty, six years active and two years inactive. He said, you know, I probably wouldn't do it if I was you, son, it. you're going to have to give up a lot over the next six years. Cause you know, I was going in my early twenties and he said, you're going to miss a lot of weddings. You're going to miss a lot of football games. You're going to miss a lot of things over the next six years. Cause you can't just not show up for a drill. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did it anyways. And of course you're right. There's not a lot of compensation, but I would say it definitely sculpted who I am. Uh, Not as much as my faith in in Christ, but um, essentially, uh, it definitely gave me discipline that I needed in my early 20s at the University of Florida, which if anybody knows about the University of Florida, it is a great school, but there's a lot of extracurricular fun that can happen (laughs) in that town. So it helped me stay on the straight and narrow throughout my undergrad and graduate career before I finished up and then moved to New York when I finished my last drill in May 2001.
0: Mm, What what a day. I'm sure. Gosh, that's... uh right before september 11th that must have been quite quite the 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 thought process for you you know just thinking of should i go back right because if you were done and september 11th happens and i'm sure you were stirred up as a patriot you know tell me about that absolutely
1: yeah absolutely and it's interesting because um i got in in 95 And most of the sergeants and corporals that were above me in my unit, in my reserve unit, were in the Gulf War. You know, so they had gotten back from the Gulf War two or three years earlier, and uh, and of course I did my six years. And right at 2001, we had 9/11. And of course, my platoon, my unit in Fourth Marine Division in, in Jacksonville, they were the first to hit the ground in Desert Shield. So I was literally sandwiched between the Gulf War and Desert Shield. And I, I didn't go. And, uh, but the Marine Corps did keep me on. They said, we want to keep you in inactive reserve status just in case we need you. But unless you proactively sign up to come back, um, you don't have to. So by the time I got to New York, I was having too much fun to raise my hand and, and go out to, uh, the desert. <laughs> were, were you there for nine 11 then in Manhattan? I was there. I was on 63rd street and Lexington Avenue and I could, uh, I could see the, 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 the smoke and it was a surreal experience for sure. It was just a a quite surreal experience to be in the city uh, on that day and on the, the, in the weeks and months after.
0: Did you have any friends or, or anyone that you knew well that, that didn't make it, you know, with, with that day?
1: Uh, I had friends of mine in the work that I was doing at the time that lost loved ones. Uh, I actually had a, at the time I was dating a girl that was uh, an architect and uh, worked on the 33rd floor of the North tower. She was in the, she was in it, uh, but she fortunately was able to get out and to safe to safety before the buildings fell. But I didn't know this until literally eight hours later because the The city was on lockdown and you couldn't get through on the cell phone towers and just didn't know. Uh, So it was really a blessing to hear that she was fine many hours later. She had walked all the way to Brooklyn from downtown, you know, from the towers because she couldn't get uh, mass transit. And of course, all the taxis were taken. So.
0: What a time. My goodness. Well, um, so tell me, Mark, you know, about your, how you got into the tax world. Like, were you training to be, you know, a tax preparer or a CPA or, uh, and while you're in New York, you know, tell us about how you got to where you are now career-wise.
1: Uh, great question, Dave. I got a smile on my face too. So if you can see the smile on my face uh, through the uh, podcast, you'd, you'd laugh as well. But You know, I did my undergraduate work at the University of Florida in exercise physiology. I did my master's Mm. work in sport management. You know, (laughs) I always planned on being in the athletic director type space or uh, managing health clubs. And that's what I did in New York and LA for a number of years. I managed very high end health clubs, um, you know, clubs that were, you know, a couple hundred dollars per month membership, uh, really, really high end. And um, interestingly enough, you know, I was in a club setting that went from 11 company, 11 clubs in New York to close to uh, hundred now across America. I left that realm when in 2007, 2008. Um, but you know, in that process, I learned to be an owner operator. You know, I was put in positions when, where I was opening these new clubs one on, you know, Sunset Boulevard and Santa Monica Boulevard and Rancho Palos Verdes and Newport Beach and I was put in a position to run these multi-million dollar clubs from scratch, right? Because we were opening them uh, one at a time into new markets. And I was bonused on EBITDA margins. So it was every day was uh, how did I drive revenue? How did I manage expenses? And how did I drive the process? And um, ov- after a little while, I mentioned, I thought to myself, well, I'm running multi-million dollar companies here as an owner operator, uh, but I'm getting paid as an employee and, and I'm looking at upside potential. I said, I think I can work with business owners. I'm pretty sure I can speak their language. And I know that now if I become a consultant in the financial space, then I think that I'll have a little bit more upside potential for my family. And I really learned to love that in the owner operator sense of these clubs. I mean, obviously you love moving. I love fitness. I love exercise. It's important for everyone to maintain their health because that is their wealth as all of our physician audience knows. Mm -hmm. Uh, but at, end of the day, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't limited in my, in the amount I could earn and also the number of people I could help. So I switched gears into finance and business consulting in 2007,
0: 2008. Okay. So been, been at it for a while and, and tell us about, you know, just what are some common tax mistakes that you are seeing people making?
1: Well, Dave, great question. I think the first mistake, this is going to be a holistic approach. Instead of getting granular right out of the gate, the first mistake is to rely 100% on your CPA or your tax professional. Now, I say that in that I'm not saying that your CPA or your tax professional doesn't do a fantastic job. In many cases, they do. But what I'm saying is when especially when you get to a point where your income is increasing and your taxable uh, situation is increasing, you know, the amount that you're stroking checks to the IRS for quarterly or annually is increasing, and you continue to only look at one resource for help, or maybe two. Obviously, you might have a financial advisor or an insurance producer that's helping you, but you know, when you're not seeking higher ground and looking for a legal remedy, using tax law to your advantage. That's the first pitfall um, that a lot of small to medium-sized business owners make because they you know, they think they're doing everything they can. And until they know what they don't know, which means they need to speak to an advanced solutions group that has attorneys that can navigate tax law to their advantage, well, they're not going to be able to further create any more defenses for their taxes. And the, the thing about CPAs is they're fantastic, but you know they're definitely going to be defensive over their business. They're going to want to protect their clients, and they also don't want their clients to leave. Yeah. And a lot of groups out there will uh, say, "Hey, I've got some tax solutions for you, and you can also move all of your accounting and tax preparation over to us too." Well, I've actually landed in a spot where I can alleviate that problem. Our what I do and the groups that I work with, we do not replace CPAs. We do not offer investment advice. We simply show you how to navigate tax law so you can keep more in your pocket and pay less to the IRS, and then it's up to you how you reallocate those funds.
0: Well, I often say, you know, most CPAs are, are what I would call tax preparers. And I think what, what a lot of us that maybe don't know a CPA well don't realize is how slammed they are from December through um, May to June quite often. You know, they're just cranking out those returns. You know, they don't have time to really focus on tax reduction and tax reduction strategies. They input all the numbers that you give them, maybe give a couple of hints here and there. But at the end of the day, they got to get to the next return and get that done. Um, so it, it's a great business to help people, um, but they're really not in the, the tax reduction business they are preparing taxes what do you think about that that insight
1: mark dave i I couldn't agree with you more in my experience uh i'd say three two or three out of ten uh cpas are going to be more proactive they're going to really be open-minded and look for ways that they can uh, reduce their client's tax situation outside of their scope of uh uh, of knowledge and their licensing, uh, but seven to eight out of 10, just as you say, I mean, they, there's a lot of accounting, there's a lot of calculation, there's a lot of recording and tracking and filing, there's a lot of tax preparation, and they just don't have the bandwidth. So those two or three out of the seven are the ones that have created a scalability in their practice to allow for a lot of that heavy lifting to be done by those they hire, and they, and they have their head above the water, and they can say, hey, you know, I want to do a little bit more for my clients. And I'm going to look outside of the box. And those are the ones that generally are open to partnering with advanced solutions groups that they don't uh, feel threatened by. Right. Because the the last thing you want to do is open your doors to a, uh, a friend, a friend and end up them being a frenemy. <laughs> you know, and they're sure. like, all of a sudden your clients are gone. So we've really been able to navigate that. Well, we do not uh, step on the toes of the CPA, but we also want to make sure that the business owners are not overlooking and, and, missing a lot of opportunity because they're relying only on their CPA.
0: So beyond that, um, understanding there's a tax preparer and someone who, who is a tax kind of reduction specialist, what are other common mistakes, you know, you're seeing people make with their taxes where they could get a big write-off and they're just missing it. Uh,
1: I like that question, Dave. There's a lot of different ways we can go with it. So let's go with the low hanging fruit. I call this the low hanging fruit uh, solution that really is only applicable for uh, individuals that own their business, right? So they're a practice owner, which means that they can take a salary and they can take profit above their salary. They can make different distributions. They can really control the way they pay themselves. In those situations uh, a lot of CPAs and tax preparers that do a great job, but just don't navigate tax law because there's 70,000 pages and there's lots of uh, things that they you know, may or may not know within that code, they don't know that you can have an additional entity that supports your main entity. So maybe your main entity is a, a, a practice that's an LLC or an LLP or an S-corp and it does quite well and you pay yourself well, but you still have profit above your salary. And, you know, every dollar that you can't uh, expense in some way, shape or form or deduct or defer, right. Put in some deferral mechanism. That is just, I call it the procrastination mechanism. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it hits your 1040 and sometimes it hits, hits, hits pretty hard. So essentially it hits that federal and the state bracket. So they don't realize that they can have a second entity, that is structured only for their family, that um, performs services for their main entity, maybe marketing and management type services. And it's going to invoice their, you know, Physician A, S Corp or LLC for those services provided. Um, So the question always is, well, why would I do that? I'm just moving $1 from one basket to another basket. What's the benefit? Well, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you structure that entity correctly, there's about 20 different ways to extract money from that entity in what we call tax-free fringe benefits. So, the recipe to this, uh, uh, you know, this dish is, first of all, let's analyze and see how many tax-free fringe benefits you are eligible for, and that all is dependent on your family. You know, are you married? Or are you not married? Do you have kids? How old are they? What are they doing? Are they in school? Do you have um, medical expenses above and beyond your um, You know HSA. If you have an HSA, you have out-of-pocket expenses that aren't covered by insurance. Do you have uh, certain things that you can do in this structure that you know you want to only be able to do it in this structure because there are certain benefits that you wouldn't want to integrate into your main structure because then you'd have to offer them to all of your employees, which would hurt your your bottom line. So that's where I think the lowest hanging fruit. Because I'd say in most cases, when we do analysis work for a physician that only has pass-through entities. We usually can find them anywhere from, say, $75,000 to $150,000 per year that they could take through a second entity that they control, and they can extract that money from that entity in a much more tax-efficient way. Most of the the extraction is called a benefit, which means it's not taxable, meaning that um, it's not income, it's not salary, it's not wage, it's not a dividend. And if it's categorized as none of those things, and in the tax code, it says you can pay this benefit to a director or an executive of a company, and it's not taxable to them. Well, that's a beautiful thing. And especially if those uh, if those benefits can have zero cost within the company. Sometimes we can create a deduction for the company that has zero expense. Um, so those are kind of unique components. Uh, and they've mm-hmm. been in the tax code for a long time. And, and a lot of the uh, uh, wealthy individuals have these personal management marketing entities that they're able to take their first, say, seventy-five dollars to $150,000 per year in a tax-free way.
0: Interesting. So let me, let me just say make sure I understand the, the concept. And I'm sure we could spend a whole several hours just talking <laughs> about this, this entity, uh, but we don't have that time today. So um, the general concept is someone, so this is not... The, for someone that has a W 2 job through a hospital system, this is really for someone that would have their own practice or someone like myself, being a business owner, uh, where maybe you have an S Corp or LLC or something, and you're doing really, really well, not um, not just someone making 100 grand or 150 grand or maybe even not even 200 grand, because um, you still have to um, sort of satisfy some basic tests. Um, but then your, your main company, let's just say it's an S corp would pay a consulting fee to this family business. Am I following this right so far, Mark?
1: Uh, 100% Dave, you are, uh, you're teaching
0: me. (laughs) Oh, I I don't know about that, but uh, I'm just, just trying to make sure I'm not, I'm not blowing this right. So everyone can just re 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 uh, understand this. And so then within this entity that now has revenue because you you got paid as a consultant, then you're able to write off various expenses against it that normally you couldn't, whether it's a retirement plan or you mentioned HSA or certain things that um, don't have to be expensed out and could just be deducted. Am, am I following that right, Mark? Absolutely. And it
1: actually gets a little bit more fun than that. So
0: Thank you, my friends, so much for listening to the last podcast. I am pleased to announce that I am now a completely independent financial advisor, where to the point now I can really integrate my financial planning practice with this podcast. If you might be looking for help, if you have found any of our information here interesting or relevant and you're looking for a second opinion. Now for some lovely legal disclosures required by our lawyer friends. Investment advice is only offered in jurisdictions where Centurion Financial Strategies LLC, Centurion is appropriately registered or exempt from registration. Our form ADV part two brochure can be obtained free of charge at advisorinfo.sec.gov. By searching for our firm name, or its unique CRD number, which is 316-454. This podcast is not a solicitation to provide advisory services in any jurisdiction in which we are not appropriately registered or excluded from registration. The information, statements, and opinions contained in this podcast have been obtained from or are based on information obtained from sources which we believe to be reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of such information. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. Opinions expressed by any guest are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the firm's views. You should carefully consider your own financial circumstances and needs prior to making any investment in securities or purchasing any insurance products. As always, past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing in securities or really anything else involves the risk of loss. If by some chance in this particular podcast I mentioned insurance products, insurance products are backed by the financial strength and claims paying ability of an issuing insurance company. They may be subject to restrictions, limitations, and early withdrawal fees, which vary by issuing. You should always consider the charges, risks, expenses, and investment objective of any insurance products before entering a contract. And that, my friends, wraps it up. Wish you all the best. Feel free to contact us with any info at www.DavidDeniston.com. Thank you so much and have a good one.
1: Think about this uh, consulting entity that is capable of invoicing the main entity. Um, So let's just say that after an analysis, it's found that uh, just for easy math, $100,000 could be earned by this entity um, and extracted in a tax efficient way. Well, we don't want this entity to earn a dollar more than $100,000 because uh, what's the point? Every dollar above a 100,000 is going to be taxed just the way it is in the S-Corp or the LLC. So we want this consulting organization or this management marketing company to earn just enough to be able to extract out using the tax free fringe benefits. And there's a, I'll give you an example of a really fun benefit. Now there's a lot and I can't go into detail on all of them, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you a fun fact. So there is a Benefits in the tax code—it's been around for years—that says if you're an executive or some type of employee or director within the company, which of course we structure it in the way that you know the the most benefit can be derived from the owner or the controller. Um, Well, if you work overtime, if you work overtime in this business, then you have the right to pay yourself a meal reimbursement stipend. You can do that a certain number of times per week, up to a certain number of times per year, and you have a certain window as far as what's uh, appropriate and the amount of that meal reimbursement stipend. So the great thing about this one fringe benefit is that in the tax code, there's nothing that states that you have to show a receipt. So if you can take a meal reimbursement stipend, because every owner of a business works overtime, they're always Mm -hmm. thinking about their business, morning, noon, night, evening. And you can actually take, let's just say, I'm not, you know, it's different for different situations. So let's say that's fifteen thousand dollars of meal reimbursement stipends between the 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 physician that owns it and the spouse that's participating in this company as well. Well, maybe fifteen thousand dollars per year can be paid from this company to the physician and their spouse in the form of a meal reimbursement stipend that's not taxable because it's a benefit in the code, but yet you didn't even have to have a receipt showing that you purchased a meal. You just had to have a log. And that is uh, black and white in the code. Uh, It's been around for years. So those are, we just add up, uh, you know, how many of these can we apply for each situation? And that's where the analysis work comes in. And it might be that, yes, you could do 15 of these 20 tax-free fringe benefits, but only six or seven really are worth the time. Mm -hmm. And that's where we focus on, you know, what are the, the biggest bang for your buck in utilizing these efficiencies within the code?
0: And I, I think of the tax code and I think of the IRS. and and I think that that there's generally certain um, deductions, like just, for example, the home office deduction tends to draw uh, more red flags for the IRS. Like, And and there's, it's legal to do, right? Like there's nothing wrong with it, but you tend to be more audit worthy. Does something like this push you into more like, oh, we have to take take a stronger look at this person. You're more audit worthy than someone who's not.
1: That's a really good question, Dave. And I think that the best answer I can provide is when it comes to audits, unless you're doing something that has been a red flag on the IRS's, uh, you know, scrutiny list, like I'm doing conservation easements, or I'm doing micro captives, Um, you know, those are things that, or I'm doing a monetized installment sale. Those are things that are, have the IRS has put out informal memos or formal memos to say, hey, if you're doing this, you know, look out, we're going to be knocking on your door. Now, with that being said, it doesn't mean that you can't own a captive as a small or medium-sized business owner and be doing everything exactly right. And there's no issue. It doesn't mean that you can't participate in conservation easement and do just fine. It's just what it means is you, if you're going to do it, you better do it right. Because if you don't, then you're going to have to pay back taxes and interest. And if you didn't get a good legal opinion, then you're going to have to pay penalties too. So with that being said, it the things that we're doing are not scrutinized. They're not on the, you know, the red flag list for the IRS. So I always say, if you get your number called, if you get your audit, you know, they just pick your number one in a thousand get audited. Well, just be prepared. And that's what our groups do. Like I will, we make sure that they are following the code to the letter. They are keeping the right documents. They're keeping the right logs. They are uh, prepared if the audit happens and we've, we've supported dozens and dozens and dozens of audits over the last couple of decades. And none of them have come back uh, except, you know, except for saying no change in plan, no taxes due. And that's because they're, they're utilizing the law. Just the IRS has, they can't, they have to follow the same rules that we do. And if it's in the code and you're doing it right, uh, they can just say, well, great, thanks for showing us what you're doing and have a great day.
0: And and I'm sure Mark, there's some someone of us that's listening out there that's like, man, this just sounds too good to be true. You know, how, how would you prove to someone this, this kind of thing that we're, we're gonna do, whether, whether it was just a suggestion you made or something else? You know, what, what would you say to someone that's skeptical like that? And how would you prove to them, hey, we're all above board and this is all
1: good to go? Great question. Uh, I think when we're doing our implementation work, you know, we're opening the door to the, their CPA where we're giving their CPA um, uh, s- essentially the keys to the castle. I mean, they have to sign a non disclosure uh, because they are learning some intellectual property that's in tax code and how to apply it. But at the end of the day, we're giving them a, an entire booklet uh, with the treasury rulings, the codes, the application of the codes, any court precedent that's been in the past that's shown that this holds up even when it is uh, you know, taken to court. So we're really giving them all the resources they need. And it's not like this is new. This is not like we think this is going to work. We hope it's going to work this, you know, the things that we're implementing have been around for literally decades. Uh, so that's the, the confirmation that we provide for our clients. And of course, CPAs like the fact that they will be able to partner with us and kind of learn these things as well. Now, of course, we don't want them to go out and compete with us, but, um, At least they understand how they're being applied, and if there's going to be some type of audit that occurs, we will stand uh, strongly beside the business owner and the CPA to support them in the audit, and as long as they do everything that we have recommended according to the code, they're going to be fine. And last but not least, Dave, to answer this question is there's a judge named Learned Hand. Mm. You can Google him. You'll see stuff all over the internet about him. He was the Second Circuit Court uh, appeals court in uh, in the Supreme Court realm for taxes. And he had a lot of quotes about taxes. But one thing that he said that I think it stands out is, you know, in the in the United States, there are two tax systems, one for the informed, and one for the uninformed. Hmm. Both are legal. <laughs> so I, that's what we say to you know, you don't have to pay taxes as long as you're following the guidelines that the IRS provides. And I don't know if you know this, but 55 of the top uh, fortune 500 companies just last year in 2020 we're cu- talking nike and uh general electric and duke energy yeah. they had billions in profit but they paid zero federal income tax how does yep. that work
0: yeah <laughs> yep a lot a lot of the bit under fire for it too um but uh us us small peons relatively i don't think will, they won't care about relative to warren buffett and some of these other guys um right. so um What about, so we talked about a business owner, great deduction idea, you know, that someone could look into more, they could contact you guys, talk to their taxpayer, CPA, whoever. What about for for someone that is W-2 that we mentioned earlier, they're working for a hospital system? Uh, What what do you have in, in your bag of tricks, two or three things for someone to think about or consider, talk to you about that would really help move the needle on reducing their taxes?
1: Absolutely. That's a great question, Dave. That's a much harder question to answer, but I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take that question and run with it. So obviously when it comes to um, where you put your money, um, there are investment options and we don't generally speak to investment options, um, but there are investment options that provide tax deductions in addition to the return on investment that is provided. So that's usually one area that it's not a secret. There's a lot of financial advisors and wealth managers out there that say, Hey, you can buy mineral rights or oil and gas, or maybe you can get into some renewable energy project and or con uh, uh, or maybe even, um, an opportunity zone, and you can get some tax benefits for investing in that realm. But I, we, I think the, the most powerful solution that I've seen and helped, um, high income earning W-2 individuals utilize is starting a new business. So -hmm. we say, well, well, you're an executive of a company and, you know, you you make a few hundred thousand dollars per year and you've got a, you know, you've got a pretty bad tax situation. Um, How do you start a new business? Well, we have to look at the fact pattern. We have to make sure it makes sense. Do they have at least a hundred hours or more that they could spend and they could, quantify and show it in their calendar that they could spend on a new business because that was the minimum requirement from the IRS to be an active participant in this new business. Or maybe does their spouse have the time? Because if their spouse doesn't work and they want to participate and be an owner of the business, well, that easily fits the fact pattern because they don't have the time constraints that maybe a practice owner would have. And they could easily show 100 plus hours per year in active participation in the business. So, now, the question is, what is this business and why would I want to start a business as a W-2 earner or have my my fiance or my wife, excuse me, my wife start a business because you can you know, file married jointly, which means that the deductions and benefits that your wife gets spill over to you globally. Mm-hmm. So uh, the current administration and previous administrations have really loved renewable energy, particularly solar. Tesla and Sunrun and all the big companies out there have been uh, taking significant advantage of these business, of these federal tax credits for solar installation and obviously solar creation. And of course, there's a lot of benefits in depreciating uh, assets that you purchase to utilize solar energy. So now what we're looking at for physicians that the fact pattern makes sense is how about you purchase a solar portfolio and it's going to be an active business. So it will be a separate entity, completely separate of your current, you know, W-2 income. And because of the way it's structured, you're going to uh, receive tax credits from the federal government, which are black and white. They want you to uh, put money in solar. And you're also going to receive accelerated depreciation from the portfolio assets that you purchased, um, which combined give you tax credits. So let's just say if you have a $150,000 tax bill or $250,000 tax bill as a W-2 or $350,000 tax bill. Well, what if you could redirect a portion of that or all of that into a solar portfolio that is an active business? And every dollar that goes into your solar portfolio essentially zeroes out your tax bill. So if you put $150,000 in your solar portfolio as an active business, it would actually reduce not just deductions; it actually takes dollar for dollar benefits. So you wouldn't have to send one hundred fifty thousand dollars to the IRS if you started a business that was that cost one hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars to start a solar business. Now, interestingly enough, well, why would you do that? Why would you spend? Uh, why would you not send the money to the IRS and start a business? Well, what if you could get the entire amount of your money back and more in the form of highly secured cash flow that is produced from the solar? Uh, panels that that were placed on the asset that you own. Now you don't own the building, but you own the solar. You own the solar on the building. So we have turnkey ways to help business owners or to help physicians essentially participate in this, whether it's themselves or their spouse, which means that now they can redirect the same amount that was going into the IRS coffer into a new business coffer. And the IRS gives them the benefits via federal tax credits and accelerated depreciation against their income. To reduce their tax, but at the, the the benefit is now they have a cash flow, in uh, asset that's paying them back. So I always say it's take your take your tax bill and turn it into a pension, <laughs> take your tax bill and turn it into a highly secured long term cash flow. Uh, so it's a fairly unique situation.
0: Is it, so is this like a solar farm then that someone is is having and then you're selling credit selling the energy to like a utility or how does that work? I guess I'm not following yeah. on that into to how you're creating
1: the cash flow from something like that. Great question, Dave. And we'll kind of jump into the rabbit hole a little bit on this one because it's fun and there's different groups out there that do it. Uh, but, you know, it's, again, it's one of those things that if you're going to do this, you really need to do it right. Uh, you need to first and foremost be able to justify and clarify that you have the time. Uh, to spend in this business in an active state, which means that you have to have a certain number of hours on your calendar to justify that you can utilize the deductions and the credits that the federal government offers. But to your, uh, to your question, you know, the group that I work with, they actually have a very niche market. It's uh, the residential market when it comes to solar installation is, is, saturated right you've got people knocking on your door all day long to say hey would you like to have free solar on your roof it's going to lower your tax bill and you also get a tax credit you've got the institutional side the teslas the sun runs the big companies that they handle the hundred million plus uh opportunities all day whether it be huge solar farms or some type of solar uh you know technology that they're putting now there's a there's a buildings like business owners and nonprofits, churches high schools junior highs, uh, triple net businesses that are retail offices, uh, particularly in Nevada and California and Portland and these areas. Well, if the value of the building is anywhere between, say, a few hundred thousand to uh, 50 to 60 million, that is an untouched market with anybody approaching these owners and saying, you can put solar on your building and you can do it In a way that doesn't cost you a dime and you're going to be able to lock in rates power rates at significantly less than what they are today for the next 25 years would you like to do that Mm -hmm. and when they say yes that is an opportunity for say a physician that owns a solar portfolio to acquire that and put it into their business and now they're receiving the cash flow from that solar um, installation on that commercial building um There's a security that is attached to this, which is really cool. I don't know if we have time to get into it, but this is when people ask, well, how secure is the cash flow? Well, it's how about what if it was, what if I told you it was 20 to 30 basis points more uh, you know, more enticing or more secure than a municipal bond? It's triple A rated. Um, that usually perks their ears and say, Well, how do you get that security level on a solar insulation that you put on a, you know, uh on. Servite high school is what you might you might recognize that name from being a Southern Californian yourself but you know one of mm-hmm. the projects that we did was on Servite high School so how do you get the how do you get secure cash flow out of that project for 20 to 30 years so that's a another element of this solution
0: oh interesting huh so it's um it's not like you're you're going and buying land and then then developing the land and putting solar on it. We're talking about within existing infrastructure of standing buildings and stuff like that. Very interesting. And obviously you can have records of people you've contacted and stuff like that as part of, um, showing your hours. So I totally follow you on that. Um, and, uh, certainly some projects will be more expensive than others. So depending on how much money someone has to throw at something like this, it can really, vary from place to place and, and, um, not very interesting stuff, Mark. Well, thank you for those two great suggestions. And, um, for, for the sake of time for the, the podcast today, I would, um, love to just get any, any closing thoughts from you as you think about physicians, as you think about, um, the, the, the challenges that doctors are encountering today with taxes or outside of taxes, anything else you want to share with us as we close out the podcast?
1: Dave, thanks so much. Well, first of all, I just want to thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's, it's been a pleasure. Your, uh, your question, uh, your array of questions are, is very fun. And, you know, a lot of podcasts uh, get, you know, they're very structured and very direct. And I love the, that we really got some time to to spend together and talk a little bit uh, about um, life in general. But uh, I'd say to answer your question, um, I would just encourage any physician, whether they're a W 2 or a practice owner, to think outside of the box and realize that, you know, and I think this is probably a good analogy that a, a, a physician can really understand is what if there was only primary care physicians? That's all we had in America primary care physicians. That's it. There was no specialist. Well, that would be, uh, I think, uh, an underserving our population with regard to a need, right? We need ear, nose, and throat specialists. We need neurologists. We need oncologists. We need um, uh, urologists. We need uh, OBGYN. So, by only working with your CPA and not looking further, it's almost like you only have a primary care physician to help you. And when your tax pain gets very high, Well, you're going to want to have a specialist, just like if you're, if you're, um, if you get a really bad headache and it won't go away and your general practitioner is doing everything they can. And they say, you're just going to have to deal with the pain, but they never sent you to a neurologist. That's going to tell you that you have a a, a three pound tumor in your frontal lobe. And we, we need to treat that in a certain way. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, Think outside of the box. Um, I would love to. Uh, we do complimentary analysis work for physicians. If the if the shoe fits, all the time. I'd say go go to peakprofitsolutions.com, which is our website. Again, peakprofitsolutions.com, and just we have case studies. Uh, we can give uh, complimentary analysis work done, and just really talk about you know their situation because again. When the tax bill starts climbing up and they're starting to write, consistently write checks of $40,000, dollars $60,000 per year between their federal and state, that's when they really should look outside of their general practitioner or their tax preparer and really look for higher ground. And just note, when we when they work with us, you know, we're not looking to make them make a move and change, and we're not even going to give them investment advice. We're going to really show them how to keep more Of their money just usually using tax law and structure to their advantage
0: all right mark well thank you again so much for being on we appreciate you everyone make sure to look mark up if you are really looking to make a big dent in your taxes some great out of the box ideas sounds like they're fully prepared to show your taxpayer cpa a lot of the, the wonderful research behind what they've done so Check that out. If you have any questions, certainly feel free to reach out to me. With that, my friends, that wraps up the episode for today for the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. This is Dave Denniston. And as always, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Thank you, my friends so much for listening to the last podcast, I am pleased to announce that I am now a completely independent financial advisor, where to the point now I can really integrate my financial planning practice with this podcast, if you might be looking for help, if you have found any of our information here interesting or relevant, and you're looking for a second opinion. Now for some lovely legal disclosures required by our lawyer friends. Investment advice is only offered in jurisdictions where Centurion Financial Strategies, LLC, Centurion is appropriately registered or exempt from registration. Our form ADV part two brochure can be obtained free of charge at advisorinfo.sec.gov by searching for our firm name or its unique CRD number, which is 316-454. This podcast is not a solicitation to provide advisory services in any jurisdiction in which we are not appropriately registered or excluded from registration. The information, statements, and opinions contained in this podcast have been obtained from or are based on information obtained from sources which we believe to be reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of such information. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. Opinions expressed by any guest are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the firm's views. You should carefully consider your own financial circumstances and needs prior to making any investment in securities or purchasing any insurance products. As always, past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing in securities or really anything else involves the risk of loss. If by some chance in this particular podcast, I mentioned insurance products. Insurance products are backed by the financial strength and claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. They may be subject to restrictions, limitations, and early withdrawal fees, which vary by issuing. You should always consider the charges, risks, expenses, and investment objective of any insurance products before entering a contract. And that, my friends, wraps it up. Wish you all the best. Feel free to contact us with any info at www.david. Deniston.com. Thank you so much and have a good one. Bye-bye.